Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. Over the last decade, what's happened to quality hip-hop, fellas? Oh, since I'm the older dude, I'll, I'll start that come... Man, a lot of things happened over the last decade. I think the main thing that happened that was good and bad was the internet. And I think from there, you know, a lot of the quality control that used to be... Because you got to remember, man, you know, back in the day, the, the hip-hop that you mostly heard... It had to go. It had to go through some kind of quality control usually before it even got to your ears. You know, what I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, True. whether it was a major label, independent label, you know, very few, you know, very few altogether indies were getting their music out on a, you know, to the scale they are with the without the internet. So I think the music was better because it was more of a system of checks and balances and. The producers were more involved with, you know, actually producing the artists. You know what I'm saying? You you just couldn't email beats back and forth as much. You know what I mean? Like, it was a more hands-on process. And um, that's just one of the things that I think, from my perspective, that has happened to it. I think it's taking a downfall. I, you know, I don't think it's – and people aren't – they're not pressing forward, you know. They're not pressing forward because now everybody got a you know, computer in their crib and they can just, you know – get a download a program and start making beats and start rapping and you know and that takes a lot of the other processing that went into the quality of the music out of it to me indeed indeed i definitely agree with you man i think that um that maybe there is also a lower i don't know i think that there's a lower threshold for mm. maybe for patience i mean i think that back in the day you would see somebody mm. drop a single and they would you know they would work that single for a while and then they would drop another single and they work it for a while today you wake up and somebody just drops a uh, 20 song mixtape that they made last night and nobody's telling them well hold up maybe you should have worked on that a little bit yeah that's that's the, that's the difference what you think Rosati? yeah i agree man i mean with the, with this uh social media technology age attention spans are at an all-time low i think you know, and, and like you said, everybody can get a laptop. Everybody got garage band. Everyone can, you know, everyone and their mother raps, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's just, it's uh, just oversaturated, I guess. You know what I mean? Indeed. But then on a, then on the mainstream, then on the mainstream level, it's just no balance. You know what I mean? Like, I have nothing against the shit that's popping right now in the mainstream, but it's just like, there's no balance. You know what I mean? Every, every, every type of hip hop has a time and a place. That's so, true. And I want to address that for a minute. I mean, you said... A time and a place. When I hear your music, and we're gonna, I want to dig a little bit deeper into both of your backgrounds. But when I hear your music, I'm, I'm feeling a different, a different time. It, 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 it really, to me, is almost like a. When I say this, I mean it in a positive way. A quality throwback to when hip-hop was in a different place. So I'm thinking like more like the quality boom-bap 90s. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that sound. Is, is, am, I, am I right when I say that? Do you agree with that? Uh, the, the vibe feels like a different time and place. 
Yeah, I I personally don't like the labels. You know, I don't, I personally don't like the the boom bap praise and the. I don't like it because it's like New York hip hop. It's like tradi- it's a traditional New York sound hip hop, right? Right. So when people say that, it's like I hear a lot of people say like old school, you know. But I I hate hearing that. I hate that. Like it's not old school. It's just like a New York East Coast sound. Like just because the East Coast sound hasn't been prevalent for so long in the mainstream, they, they go and they call it old school. You know what I mean? So, right. I definitely wouldn't use the term old school, but it's all relative. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely right. much older than you. So for me, old school is, you know, going back to the golden era, going back to the, to the eighties people, obviously that in many ways pioneered it, but, but mm-hmm. I hear you, but I hear you, but definitely the sound is not necessarily what we're, used to hearing from maybe what a lot of people are making in 2017. It it sounds like a time Mm. when people spent a little bit more effort crafting their lyrics and crafting the production. Right. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And, I mean, that's, uh, you know, because, like I said, I'm probably closer to your age Israel, I I get exactly what you say because I come from that era. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. And you know that's the whole thing. Like you know, Rosati is literally Rosati is 24 years old. I'm 44. Right. So we're 20 yeah, 25. Years apart. Yeah. 25 now. You know what I'm saying? So mm. like we're we're damn near 20 years apart. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm still in the current space in the hip hop world. But I've always held a flag for real hip hop. You know Indeed. what I'm saying? Like whether I was doing it on the on a mainstream level or underground or, or in between, I always held that flag for that sound for, for 20 years, basically, in my career. With that being said, it's, it, it was like meeting Rizzotti and him being a whole generation or two generations behind me and him catching up to the... That proved that it wasn't old school. True. You see what I'm saying? Mm, true. Like, Word, that, right. well, that's what proved that it wasn't old school to me. If, if I didn't know it before that moment, I didn't. And I'm with Rosati. I never liked the labels because I, I continuously had a hip hop career during that sound. And I came out. I started in the '90s. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like I looked up to Pete Rock and all those guys. I was trying to come up with. You know, I was trying to come at those guys at that time. But I was just starting. You know what I mean? Indeed. So, so, so I agree that it's it, it, what I. This is what I think, bro. And, and this is a bigger picture. I feel like what I rather label this sound as, honestly, is like it's like a universal sound to me. You know what I'm saying? Because mm. like, like you, like Rosati said, you know, it, we we are at the end of the day emulating a East Coast sound because it started there. You know, New York's the mecca. So, so being from Chicago, like you know. Me coming up the way I came up, like me, Kanye, no ID, we all was like looking at y'all in New York, like, okay, you know what I mean? How are we going to, we love this sound, we love this vibe, how are we going to, how are we going to really imitate that? Because that's the original thing, you know, going all the way back to the beginning, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. like, but if you go outside of the United States, that sound is still the number one sound for hip hop everywhere else in the world. True. You see what I'm saying? So again, it can't be old school. You know, I you know, I just I work with Raycon and Ghost all the time. These dudes are never in the country. At the studio with me and Rosati record out here, Sticky Fingers is is right across the hall. He's here, 
But then when he's not here, he's out the country. Real hip hop still is like super prevalent in Africa, Asia, um, you know what I'm saying, Indonesia. I mean, all over the world. You know what I'm saying? So I just think America is just kind of like in a capitalistic machine. Like my favorite thing is I love, I'm like, I love a lot of the stuff that goes on, you know, on the other levels, on the high level, but like Future and Fetty Wap can't go to Asia and pack out a 20,000 seat arena. Indeed. That's the misconception. Indeed. You feel me? Indeed. So from a bigger sense, I feel like, you know, we're raising this level of consciousness to the hip-hop that is worldwide already love. I mean, look at our Twitter, and you know it too. Your international fans following you guys. International fans, people from Asia hit me up today. I know they hit Rosati up, you know what I mean? So I think it's mm. international, man. That's why I like to present it like that. I definitely wouldn't yeah. have used the word old school, but I like what you said mm-hmm. about real. It's it's real hip hop, and yeah. as far as old, definitely not old because it's timeless. You know, real timeless. good real yeah. good music is timeless. Bobby Womack is not old, right? Bobby Womack is timeless. Right. Um, and, and, and the, so before we get to the the album, I want to want to go back a little bit. I was uh, reading that you got your first drum machine extreme at 15. This was mm-hmm. before the age of Fruity Loops. Tell me a little bit about what machine that was. Uh, it was a TR-707. Oh, wow. Rolling. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, the TR-707. I, I couldn't afford the 808. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot. It was like maybe three to two fifty to three hundred dollars more than the seven oh seven. So my mom, um, I think that might have been a birthday, something like that. She was like, "Okay, I remember it was like seven hundred bucks, you know." And right. the, and the eight oh eight was like eight fifty. So like I got the seven oh seven. So I basically, it was interesting because I got the seven oh seven, but the year before that. That was like probably my freshman year of high school. But for my eighth grade graduation, she got me turntables. You know, I just started kind of building. So, okay, like I got turntables, I got a speaker system, I got an amp. Now I got a drum machine. And I already had like a little Casio keyboard. So after the DJ and stuff, I really got that down. Then I started going from like, okay, let me plug this... 707 into one channel and let me plug my keyboard into another channel and then let me throw a record on the turntable and then I'm going to try to match the 707 drum pattern I program up to whatever's playing on the turntable. This is literally how I started making beats. Sampling, like without sampling, but sampling, you know what I'm saying? And to play a little keyboard part on the side and record it to a, a cassette tape. Right, right. <laughs> so right. That, those are like my first beats, yeah. I feel you, man. I was, I had the 505, so you were doing better than me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I feel you. My boy had the 505. I, but the 505 had some dope sounds on it yeah, that the 707 yeah. didn't have, though. Indeed. So, so you were making beats on the 707, which, by the way, as a side note, people are still feeling. I see people buying those things online for a good amount of money, more than what you paid for it back in the day. So, I well, mean, that's then, still classic. Yeah, yeah it's still classic. Sure. All my big homies, like, made, created house music. So, right. like, I came from that. So, 707 was a staple in the house sound, you right. know what I'm saying? Like, that's why it's popular again now, because that sound has come back on the dance scene now. You Indeed. know what I'm saying? 909s, 707s, all those sounds are popular because Chicago house kind of made those sounds popular. So that's why I initially got it, because I was really into house music. And, and, and at first, my first love 
you know, for like making music was making house music because everybody in my neighborhood grew up. But this was like 86, mm-hmm. 87. Mm-hmm. When 88 hit, that's when hip hop really flooded Chicago. And that's when we were just like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And then it switched completely to hip hop for us, for certain of us in Chicago. Right, right. And then obviously we had uh, a little bit of that hybrid with the house with um, the Jungle Brothers, Todd Terry. Exactly. Called a hip house. And yeah. I'm sure you remember Mantronic. Of course. DJ Mantronic from Mantronics indeed. That was some classic stuff. So let's talk a little bit about how you progressed from that to your first group, Figure of Speech in the early 90s mm-hmm. and how you went about getting getting a record deal at that time that's funny you did your research man this is this is impressive um <laughs> man well like i told you one of my okay so on my block my best friend i grew up with um he had an uncle that was maybe like maybe like 10 years older than us so he was like you know his uncle but his like more like a cousin you know what i mean his cool uncle you know that type of thing mm-hmm. so but his because this is my best friend this became my uncle but this guy was a chicago music legend in the house world and long story short he made it from the house world as a vocalist and as a singer he's like one of the biggest singers on all the the biggest house records that came out of chicago and it went international so from there he joined a group called club nouveau back in the day that lean on me oh group, i remember you know? him yeah and yeah, so he was in Club Nouveau as the lead singer of Club Nouveau for years. And long story short, from that, from there, he became like, after he ended that, he became a vice president at Chrysalis Records back in the day. If you remember, they signed of like course. Gangstar, a few people mm-hmm. like that. Bahamadia. So, long story short, Bahamadia, exactly. Like, right now, I have all of those tapes and all of those adapts in my house right now. Mm-hmm. It's a long story, but I have them now. But, um, but he worked there. He was the VP there. So... By the time I became, um, me and my best friend became uh, LTD that was in my group. He's my best friend. By the time we were, like, just about to graduate high school, we started recording demos, you know? Mm -hmm. So we would go to the studio, buy the two-inch tape, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Go and record our demos and stuff. And we would send them, by that time, his name was Curve. His name was Kevin Irvin, but his name in the industry was Curve. Mm -hmm. And um, by that time, Curve was out in L.A. doing the Christmas thing. So I'm just sending them the demos, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, Curve, check us out, because he was like our idol. He was... He was the guy that was already in the music business that we were trying to be like. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, and and because he was legitimately in, I always had a great insight into the industry from a, from a very young age, right? Mm-hmm. So, long story short, I was sending him our demos, and he was out here in L.A., and he'd start passing them around, and, and a friend of his actually had just did a deal at Warner for his independent label, and uh, but it was a major, like I said, he had Warner Distribution, which back at that time, we're talking 93, that was a major thing. Most people didn't have major distribution from Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. you know. So um, he had that kind of deal. My uh, my uncle passed him our demo tape, and he and the guy fell in love with it. Then he took it to the people at Warner Brothers. They fell in love with it, and they signed us to an album deal. I was 19 at the time, or 18. And that was like, yeah, that's how that that's how that whole thing happened. I, I would imagine that like a lot of artists that that was probably not the most productive situation. I mean, a lot of artists think and as as we all know now that the label is not the last stop. Yeah. 
So, so what, exactly. what, what was, how did that end and, and what did you take away from that experience? It ended because, um, you know, we put an album out that we put a single out that actually did pretty well. It was on like all the video channels. It was out in New York on, we did, uh, Ralph Daniels. We did all the major outlets with the song. It was called Ready to Wreck. It did, I mean, for what it was, it was okay, but then we, came with the album and of course that was that's when we started learning the, the, the difference between a independent ma- label and a major label and the major label really never kicked in on the album but it was released through Warner it came out and then we uh we wound up leaving the label like two years later so at that point I'm just kind of like in Chicago kind of just like wow okay what you know I'm just now I'm just back to making beats again because now my group is kind of breaking up. I got a crew of people in Chicago I'm working with, just different rappers, MCs. You know, we had a crew. And um, so I just really concentrated on working with the crew and doing that. And then within that, like No ID, Common, all of them were coming up at this time. And me and No ID had been friends since like nine years old. Like we played, me, Common, and No ID played bitty basketball together. <laughs> you know what I'm wow. saying? So we're all from the South side, you know what I mean? So, um, so as they were moving and coming up, we, you know, I was doing my thing with my guys and we just started like me and no ID started really kind of like hooking up. And then that's where it kind of started. Like the steel on steel kind of started sharpening. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like at that point I kind of left my crew and started more dealing with him. And then me and him were like working on beats and, and, and I was learning a lot and we were helping each other. So from there, that's how I met Jay-Z, actually. What happened was, literally from there, I was really, I was with my group of guys, and I'm riding down the street in Chicago, and um, a van pulls up next to us, and basically uh, the van, now I'm from the south side, we were on the west side of Chicago at this time. So back in that time, south side, we didn't go to the west side like that, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, and vice versa, you know. So, But we were out there going to a studio, so we we got we stopped at a stoplight at like Madison Street, which is a popular street on the west side of Chicago. And this van pulled up. Now in the car I was in, I was with my, I was with my best friend LTD from the Figure Figure Speech, and um, he we were actually playing a beat in my in his car that I had just produced a, a beat I had been working on, and we had been playing it the whole ride from the south side to the west side. So. When this van pulled up next to us, the driver stuck his head out and asked us what, where the mall was. And I didn't, know, I didn't know where the mall was at, so I told the driver, like, yo, I, nah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not from this side of town. I don't know where the mall is at. But I heard the passenger say, what, what are y'all listening to? And at this point, I'm just kind of like, why are they asking so many questions? At a stop? It was just weird, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, it's a beat I produced, you know. Then I heard, like, some rumbling in the van. The passenger was like, yo, you produced that beat? And I'm like, yeah. The next thing I know, Jay-Z basically stuck his head out the back of the driver's side of the window from, you know, from the back and was like, yo, you did that beat? And I'm like, yo, shit, that's Jay-Z. I'm kind of bugging, like, uh-huh. and I'm like, yeah. He like, uh, he's like, yeah, man, pull over, pull over. Like, pull over, I want to rap on that. I want to get on that beat. I'm just like... And if my friends hadn't been with me, I swear to God, I felt like nobody would ever believe Of course. It. You know what I'm saying? It was like the, <laughs> the weirdest shit ever. But what happened, so we pulled over like on Wendy's parking lot, and it, and then it was basically, it was Jay-Z, Damon Dash, Biggs, and DJ Clue. Wow. And they were in town for the, the Hard Not Life Tour. They were leaving town from the Hard Not Life Tour. Wow. And, um... So basically, you know, Clue got out, Jay got out and was like, yo, I love that beat. Like, he said, Jay was like, yo, we've been following y'all for like 
for like miles, and all we've been seeing from behind y'all is y'all heads nodding the whole time, right? Wow. And he like, and, and he said, so he said, so yo, we've been going through the radio trying to figure out what y'all are listening to, you know? And he's like, we couldn't find it on the radio, you know? what I'm saying? It matched the, the head bobbing, you know? Right. So he was like, that's why we asked. But long story short, he was basically like, man, I want to rap on that for DJ Clue's album. At that time, Clue was working on the professional too, mm-hmm. so. He was like, yo, just get through your number, you know, and uh, we're going we to Miami and we're going to get at you when we get back. It's the last show. We're going we're gonna to get back to work when we get back. So long story short, I actually wound up going to Miami. I, I'm checking in my room. I look three hours down the hall, and Clue is checking in his room. Right. Like, literally, I didn't even was supposed to be going to Miami, and they're staying on the same floor. And Clue sees me like, yo, Chicago. Wow. And so I wound up kicking it with them that whole weekend, went to the last show in Miami Beach with them, Hard Not Life Tour. And then that Monday, Clue's assistant called me from Rockefeller and was like, yo, you know, we want to get the beats. We got the beats. Um, I wound up doing three songs for the Professional 2 album. It was it was a Jay-Z song. It was the DMX song uh, called Who's Next that actually made the album. And it was, a, it was a third song by a new rapper named Fabulous Sport that mm-hmm. nobody had really heard of mm-hmm. yet. But because of sample clearances, the Jay-Z song and the Fabulous Sport song didn't make the album. Right. The only, only the DMX song did, you know? So that was basically my first real placement outside of my group shit was you know, was the DMX song on the Professional 2, which, of course, with that, which wound up going platinum. So my first placement was a platinum record, basically. So, and from there, I just did a lot of other work, man. I was able to, that opened the door, basically. Once I did that, then it was like, I could go anywhere, I could come to New York and whenever I want, and I can go walk in any label, and I can take a meeting and I can get a placement. That's amazing. I guess that's testimony to when the beat is hot, it's hot. I mean, you got Jay-Z following you around looking for a beat. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty yeah. insane, man. That's amazing, man. And and, that's, and the, that's the universe. You got that right. Sure. And, and since, I mean, you talk about an impressive discography you've produced for everyone from Raekwon to Ghostface to obviously DMX, Ed OG, who is an OG, Shabam Sadiq, yeah. Underground, King, and uh, and even some yeah. R&B classics. So talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about some of the lessons, man. You've been in the game for a minute doing some impressive things. What are some of the lessons that you learned from your journey <laughs> from back in the day you know, using your 707 yeah. to producing for yeah. platinum level artists and making platinum records. I mean, it's it's that's a hard question to ask because everything that I, every step I went through from what you brought up from figure of speech, or let's say, let's forget it, just the 707 all the way to now, all of that has made me be like where I'm at. And, and what I mean where I'm at is, yeah, professionally where I'm at, but more so creatively. I don't really deal with, you know, levels and all that stuff. I'm I'm a creative, you know what I'm saying? I'm a creative just like any other creative, and my concern is at what level am I creating at, you know? So I feel like everything I've done and the lessons, man, I mean, I literally, I, I mean, it's behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, I was a part of the first group of producers that was working on Detox with Dr. Dre, you know? Wow. So I got to work with Dr. Dre right after I did the Jay-Z thing. It was like, and, and the Rockefeller things, like maybe three years later, um, I got out to L.A. for the first time. So my first experience in L.A. was going to work with Dr. Dre on 
on the first on the on the detox that never came out. Right, so, right. So I mean, from that to like I said, I've worked with Music Soul Child. I've worked with Jaheem. I've so it's weird because I, I'm an underground hip hop cat. That's what I started from, mm-hmm. and I never thought I would get those kind of opportunities, you know. But the weird thing is, I just I learned. I, I was able to go through different chambers that now. I'm, I'm like almost back where I started, and it's just like I said earlier. It's just beautiful to me that there, there's a there's like people like these younger guys, like the Rosatis, like the Husses, like the Rosewoods, like you know the Estee Nacks, like all this, this whole arena of people that that we all on the phone are fans of. It's like it's been like a rebirth for me now. I get to take all that stuff that I learned from everything I body I work with, all these huge records, these huge artists, and now I can come back into a space where I really want to be and love to be and give all that knowledge and put it all here now. And, and then connect with these young artists and then be able to give them, because what I did tell you, I mean, he's heard half these stories, because that's all I do is tell stories all day, because I got them. <laughs> you right, feel right. me? Like, yeah. You know? I got him, but they're to advance him and they're to advance, you know, to give him information that I wasn't able to get. So uh, I just think it's very important, man, like your journey, man, to pay attention on your journey and to take everything you learn and every chamber you go into. And like I said, cause I've, I've gone through years where I didn't do hip hop. I've gone through two years where I just did all R&B, mm-hmm. you know, and I taught myself how to play keys on YouTube and, you know, all type of stuff that I wasn't doing as an underground cat to just digging for samples, right? Indeed. To answer your question, you actually said something at the beginning of the interview that was dope because that's the point of what I think me and Rosati are trying to do. I want to do the underground thing that we're doing, but I actually want to present it at a little bit of a higher level right. than the average. right. Right. If that makes sense. You kind of spoke to that a little bit. Indeed, you know? classic. So so it's it's a classic sound. And, and speaking of that, Rosati, I mean, he mentioned the word young. So obviously, you know, you guys have almost two decades uh, between you. So a young cat like yourself, how did you, how do you first get into making lyrical classic hip hop? I mean, basically, I mean, I was born in 92, so... I grew up on 90s MTV, really, mm-hmm. you know, as a, young, as a young child, you know. So I was a little kid, like five through ten years old, listening to Dre and Snoop and M and 50 Cent, right? Like, that was, that was like my childhood, like five to ten years old. That's what I was into, you know, in basketball. So that was my shit. And then, um, and then later on... I got into uh, guitar. I got into Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. right? So when I was like, when I was like 13, so I started playing guitar, and then that led me to kind of just learn the history of of all of American music, you know, from jazz and blues and all that. Mm-hmm. Getting into Miles Davis and everything, all that in high school, right? So going back and, and learning about the learning about blues and jazz and everything, that brought me back to learning about uh, jazzy hip-hop, really. Mm. Playing jazz on guitar got me into the jazzy hip-hop shit, the Roots and Tribe and Most Def and Talib and all that. Playing, playing jazz guitar got me into the, the, you know, to study. Just, just having the background of studying music, it just helped me study everything. So once I got into hip-hop, I was, 
I was I was into it, you know, and then I um you know, I went to Berkeley for a little while. I went to Berkeley for a year in Boston. Mm. Um and I uh I dropped out just cuz of money, but I lived in Boston for like 5 years. I used to rap when I was a little kid and stuff like that, you know, and do little things, but it wasn't like my thing. I, I wasn't like honing any craft. I was just doing it for fun. When I dropped out of Berkeley, I really like started getting into it, like actually practicing and writing and doing all that. And then once I actually started practicing the craft, then I really like figured out what cats were doing, you know, lyrically, like breaking it down. But with my musical background, it just helped me pick it up quick, like, mm-hmm. you know. No, it took me like a year or two to actually put stuff out on, on SoundCloud, which is rare because, you know, nowadays everyone just, you know, they write a rap and they record and they put it out. But I actually took I actually took my time and, you know, mm-hmm. figured out some stuff before I did, before I just posted it up on there, you know. And, the, uh, and you're a real musician. I've seen yeah. you. I've seen you play guitar on YouTube. Yeah. But yeah. Having the, having the musical background definitely helps uh, help me pick it up. You know, to the level of uh, which I picked it up. But that still wouldn't, that still doesn't necessarily make you a dope MC. So, I mean, you definitely have the ability to craft lyrically powerful songs. So, talk to me a little bit about your influences. I mean, that's, that's the lyrical hip hop. That's the real hip hop that we talked about earlier. I didn't use the word old school, I said real. So, classic. (laughs) So, talk to me about that. Talk to me about that that classic sound and the attention. Two powerful lyrics. You know, Jay Nas, then Rakim. Rakim changed my life. Wow. <laughs> you know, you know, and and, I, and it's funny too because like uh, being a little kid back in the day, you know, PlayStation came out when I was you know eight, ten years old, and I used to play this uh, it's like roller skate, rollerblading game, like extreme sports game, and they used to, and they had don't sweat the technique on it. Wow. And I just remember that from from being a little kid, and then I remember the Kobe, the two K commercial with Kobe with don't sweat the technique and everything. So just like. So it was always there. It was always just present, but I just, you know, had to get had to get to the right time and place to really uh, do the knowledge and everything. So, so rock him definitely, and uh, you know, Cool G rap and you know, uh, Planet Asia, you know, Raekwon, Ghostface. I went back to my childhood. I went back to to M because you know I listened to him as a kid, just because you know when you're a kid M and M was popping that was the thing and it was like you know it's funny when you're a kid like what he says is funny and it's amusing and all that you know so i went back and and saw what he was doing lyrically and everything like that and you know big l big l was huge actually monster um, he was a monster definitely yeah yeah big l was huge he helped he helped me realize like what patterns were it was so symmetrical that i could i picked up on it and i realized what he was doing and then i then it made me listen to everyone else and realize they were all doing it too in different ways so, right indeed indeed you know, that was huge definitely one of one of the greats i mean i don't think there are many better songs than ebonics oh man crazy yeah the big picture man i love that album. yeah definitely. yeah well that that's that's impressive and man that, i mean you, you you're talking about starting with jay and then going back to rakim i mean that's that's powerful stuff because mm-hmm. i I studied it all, you know, from Charlie Parker to, you know, Duke Ellington all the all the way up. Like so it's the same thing to me. Like me having a jazz background, I just look at this hip hop shit. It's just it's just jazz, man. It's a continuation of jazz. And the and, and you know, that's you know? that's an interesting perspective that, you know, I commend you for. So you talk to you know, you talk to kids that are into heavy metal 
today, and if if they play heavy metal, you know, they could talk about some of the folks that came and, and, and in some cases created this. Obviously, people like Jimi Hendrix are responsible for a lot of what we eventually would call heavy metal. When you talk to when you talk to kids, maybe that are playing punk music, you know, they're still familiar with the Clash and maybe the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. But unfortunately, typically, you talk to a kid that's making hip hop in 2017, and and they don't know rock him. So so what do you what do you think that is that we we don't really see the appreciation for the history of hip hop with a lot of young cats that are making the music? What do you think about that? Um I think it's a product of America not respecting black culture. Okay. <laughs> Basically, you know like like that you brought up a great point like classic rock like everyone everyone you know they love Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton and you know, and Jimi Hendrix, but, it, but you know, they don't talk about the blues. They don't talk about Chuck Berry or B.B. King or Buddy Guy or any of the people mm-hmm. that created that music. And then the same thing with hip-hop. It's like, you know, like, they don't, they, they just don't, there's, there's no respect, I think. Like, as overall, you know, obviously there's people that respect sure. it. But, of course. Um, as, a, as the culture of America, I feel like uh, they don't, they just don't. They don't respect it, you know what I mean? And I, it may be, you know, too, too raw, but, you know, if white people created hip-hop, we would know who all these people are. Interesting, interesting Basically. perspective. I mean, when I hear, when I hear yeah. you and a lot of your affiliates, uh, was, I mean, really, some of the, I would say, some of the more impressive uh, lyricists in the game right now, the winners, everyone from Huss to Rosewood Smooth, uh, yourself, uh, Sage Infinite, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You, mm. you guys all have one thing in common, and that is that care that you put into crafting your songs. So talk to me a little bit right. about how you hooked up with those folks. Uh, I was going to say how you hooked up with those guys, but you also have L.A., who obviously uh-huh. is an amazing female producer from the U.K. How you hook up with that crew? That That's an amazing mm. collective. Talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, it's funny. I actually, back in, like, what was it, 2013, I think, I think I did a, uh, I rapped over a, a Rock Marciano beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, did like a little remix, just just put some bars on it or whatever. And uh, and Huss heard it, and then Huss just hit me up, and he was uh, and, and this was like before he even thought of the winners. I, I remember like he hit me up and he wanted to do music, and then a little later on he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna put this group together called the Winners. I want you to be in it. Mm. You know, me, you, Smooth, and Rose, and whatever." And uh, you know, so then so we just started making music from there, like since 2013, you know, and then uh, this kind of turned into what it's turned into. Indeed, pretty amazing stuff. Are you doing? Are you doing a lot of shows? Uh, I mean, I'm fairly new to LA. I'm just trying to get out there and just you know, network and meet people and get my music out there and keep creating. And, you know, working with Extreme now and everything. So, what brought you out to LA? Basically, uh, Rock Marciano's manager Jazz heard me through Huss. So, me and Jazz were talking. You know, we were working on some stuff for, you know. And uh, and he had a mutual friend that knew Extreme, so Extreme heard me and wanted to work. So I came out here, 
for a uh, Larry Jones show, and I, I hooked up with Extreme, and we, we did some tracks, and then uh, we just wanted to work together. And, um, and me, me and my girl at the time, we were looking to move anyway, so we, we said, you know, why not? Let's make it happen. So we moved out here, and, you know, now me and Extreme are working together. Nice. That's, that's phenomenal, and you guys are making some quality music. So let's talk a little bit about your new album. First things first, maybe it's obvious, but talk to me a little bit about the title, Bobby Womack Dreams. What's up with that? Well, you said you said it's obvious. It might be obvious because we're talking about classic, funky, soulful music. But talk to me a little bit about the title. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, but I mean, Bobby Womack Dreams is basically a code for saying like California dreaming. Like okay. I, I moved to, to LA, you know. And uh, but it's also an ode to good music. Like I, I remember I, I used to play in a band in Worcester, and we used to play uh, "Woman's Got to Have It" by Bobby okay. Womack. Okay, uh, like so. You know what I mean? So it's just an ode to all that, but just just a way to it's a different way to say it's an iller way to say California dream. Him coming to LA, you know what I'm saying? Right. And and, and pursuing his dream. So talk to me a little bit about your workflow. Is it literally uh, extreme? Just just bringing some amazing production to the table, and you write to it, or, or how you come about actually creating a song? Basically, he'll send me, he'll send me beats, and uh, we'll you know we'll pick pick which ones I want to want to work with, and I and I usually sit with him. You know, I'll write them, sit with them, and then I'll go in and knock them out. Like, I, I usually work better that way. I, I like to take my time with, with things, you know, right, not right. rush things. Gotcha. You know, but ba- but basically the, uh, you know, the sample, the sample and the just the vibe of the beat will kind of inspire me where to, you know, tell me where to go lyrically with it. No. Just love the classic vibe. And when I say classic, it's not even just classic hip hop, but it, it feels like classic soul and funk. Yeah. Glad you said that because, like, because of of my age, I um, you know, when I first got into music, there was no hip hop. So like, you know, I always knew I wanted to do music from prior to time I was like seven. So you know, when mom was clean, and see the other thing is, I have a musician's background. My sister is like, my sister is eighteen years older than me, but mm-hmm. she was like a crazy musician. She played like drums. She played key. So I grew up with a set of drums. And a B3 organ in the house, mm-hmm. along with a, a whole wealth of soul records. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, I grew up listening to Stevie Wonder, OJs, and Gambling Huff. And so I thought I was going to get the chance to be like Gambling Huff. That was mm-hmm. one of my idols when I was a kid. Right, right. I wanted to be Gambling Huff. So, then, honestly, then when hip hop came, it was like, oh, oh shit, okay, well. I can just do this because this uh, really what I honestly thought was, yo, this hip hop thing is cool. This is going to teach me how to do music mm. and I'll learn the basis of it through hip hop. But then I'm going to go off and I'm going to become like fucking gambling huff and right. make that type of shit. Right. And I just, I got to that place to where then music changed where nobody want to hear the soul records no more. Nobody want to hear the, you know, nobody was, that's why I say I wound up going to Philly and going to work with Music Soul Child and Aerie, because they were like that new version of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They were the new version of that. And Music Soul Child, me, he had a, I don't know if you remember, but he had a, he had two twin background singers and Mm -hmm. they were called Aries. Mm -hmm. And basically, I went out to I went out to uh, Philly to work with them in Larry Gold's studio where all the OJs and all that stuff was done, you know. So like 
at that moment, I thought I was transcending. Remember I told you I, didn't, I took two years off from hip-hop? That's right. when I did that. Right. Because at that moment, I had did a lot of hip-hop. I made some classic hip-hop records and some platinum ones. Now I'm like, okay, now it's time to go here. But that, if that movement, that whole soul movement ended, mm-hmm. you know? It ended. It never, you know, Erica, that whole, that whole thing they were doing kind of wound up going from the mainstream to, like, adult contemporary. True. Real True. quick. True. You know, and at that point, as a producer, I didn't want to, I was too young to be in the adult contemporary world, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, so that, but, but that's what I'm saying. So I basically, yo, started out thinking I was going to be like Gambler Huff. So the soul sound has always been a super prevalent sound in my career because I started off as a disco, mm-hmm. I started off DJing disco records. Mm-hmm. So I know disco records from the time I was 13. In my music now, fast forward you hear a lot of those influences. You know right. what I'm saying? That's, what, that's why I think you're hearing it. That's where the classiness comes from because Indeed. and the orchestration and the samples and shit I choose because really I'm trying to be like Gamble and Huff. I feel like I'm a soul dude, like mm-hmm. a soul funk dude. Mm-hmm. That's my thing, you know? It's smooth, smooth, smooth music. Spe- speaking, speaking of that, beyond the lyrical flow and the ability to deliver... Uh, those those rhymes in a in a very impactful manner, Rosati. You you have a certain Ooh. amount of smoothness, coolness. Talk talk to me a little bit about your your style. That kind of swagger is exuded on the on the screen. Talk to me a little bit about your, about your uh, your style. I mean, basically, it's just an extension of my personality. You know, I'm like I'm a pretty relaxed, laid back dude anyway, uh-huh. and um. And I mean, a lot of the, a lot of my influence of style really comes from Miles Davis. Oh wow! Okay. You know? Hence, hence my AKA Styles Davis. Okay. Okay. You know? <laughs> like, like to me, to to me, Miles Davis is the goat. Like he's my he's my goat of just of music. Period. Like Indeed. he was he was he was the he was the baddest. You know, and he always changed. He like he had he was in the you know he was changing music since the 40s all the way to the 90s like his last album was a hip-hop album called doo-wop before right. and it came it came out right after he died like so i mean he he's the one for me you know and then rakim really the coolest that, that's why that's why i connected with rock that, that's why that's why i connected with rakim so much because he played jazz as well he he was a, he played saxophone in high school like mm-hmm. just like i played jazz guitar in high school like so and, and just his whole delivery and his whole aura and everything like Rakim, I mean, Rakim is my favorite rapper. You know, him and Miles and Rakim are definitely the two. Yeah, that's that's definitely the epitome of cool. You have the release party, which, again, it, it doesn't sound like the most groundbreaking thing. However, today, a lot of artists just are just dropping music left and right and not necessarily spending time properly rolling it out. And you guys are doing that. So talk to me a little bit about some of the marketing strategies, you know, what kinds of um, tools are you using? You know, what kind of videos you got going on? What's what's the uh, what's the game plan for the promotion of this album? You want to take I'll that? Talk about it. Um, yeah, I like okay. it. Um, I mean, well, I mean, just a lot of a lot of just strategic planning and paying attention to you know what, not what everybody else is doing, but kind of what everybody else is not doing, mm-hmm. like what you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, I think that's the more the plan is the is the if I and this hasn't been discussed, but I, I'm just gonna say it now. I think we we do we just try to pay attention to detail across the board, whether mm-hmm. it's in the music, you know what I'm saying, in the studio. Um, lyrically, he's he's very detailed, you know, because of his background and the way and the seriousness he approaches it, and then even with the um, presenting it to you know to the people, because at the end of the day, you know, we realize you know. I realize that that he's different, and you know, and he's and and, that, and he's offering something that isn't really out there. So I feel like we got to be a little creative and 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 take our time and and actually just put it out there properly. So it's not a lot of thought other than just just putting it in the right right place, right time, and using all of our resources and the fact that we think that we're making really good music to draw more resources to see what, what things will be available to us. So right. moving forward, you know, we, like you said, we got this, we got more videos playing. A lot of the videos are like really home, almost like, you know, low, low budget, but like, I, we don't like to use the term low budget because we feel like they're creative. You know, mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. called Andy Warhol's videos, low, low budget, nobody, you know what I mean? So like, like we're being creative. Sometimes we might use an iPhone because we want the look that way. Sometimes mm-hmm. we might pull out a a G programmer because we need that look, you know. So, but we got we got a couple videos, few videos planned. We got a couple in the can already um, for this, and uh, so you're gonna definitely be seeing more visuals and more videos to um, you know to to support some of the music and uh, and yeah, I think that's about that's that's mainly about it, man. Just in terms of the, the the thoughts and the plans, it's just kind of us figuring it out and putting it together, you know, on our own and, and, and hopefully people like it. Right. And, and Rosati, I know that um, as far mm. as my perspective, it seems like SoundCloud has been one of the more powerful marketing tools for you and, you know, getting yourself kind of known in the hip hop sphere. Is that, would you say that's the case? Definitely, man. If it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't for SoundCloud, Hustle wouldn't have heard me and then Jazz wouldn't have heard me and then Extreme wouldn't have heard me, you know, so... I want to ask you a question, Extreme, about your new venture, Tribera Records. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, Tribera Records is, um, man, it's kind of like a love child, man of mine, I, honestly. Um, it's basically a, a label that I formed, independent label that I formed, um, basically to put out, to be able to eventually put out special projects um that I want to do you know mm-hmm. what I mean and, mm-hmm. and not not in a sense of um you know like not not the typical like I, like you know I feel like what me and Rosati are doing is special I think I'm working with a few other artists on that level you know what I mean and I think eventually um you know at some point you know we can we'll be just, we're talking about doing some things through Tribera um records you know I I have a situation through Priority which is like, you know, you probably know the history of, of Priority course. Records. They're like, Indeed. you know, they were the, ind- the independent label that launched from Ice-T to Ice Cube, N.W.A., mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And um, they've just relaunched, you know, again. Mm-hmm. And so for me, as, as being in the game for a long time, and I'm seeing what's going on, what I think on the indie level, I really love what's going on on the indie level right now. Mm-hmm. So I actually created Tribera to be... Um, a place to where I could maybe do those kind of projects and maybe partner with a label, you know, like, like priority that is independent and still has an independent spirit 
to allow independents to 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 basically get, get their music a little bit mass marketed a little bit more than just SoundCloud on their own. Indeed. So that's really that's really what it's about. You know what I'm saying? And I created Tribera to be able to create those special projects. You know, for but before that happens, I feel like a lot of the artists also need to. They're still building their fan bases. You that's know what right. I'm saying? So. Um, my goal is to help a lot of the artists like Rosati, like Huss, like all the winners. You know what I'm saying? I've met other guys like Flashes Clayton. I've been talking to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been just, I'm in love with the world. And mm-hmm. so I'm kind of want to just lend my knowledge and my experience to these artists if they'll have it, if they'll have me, and see where it goes. And then and create some lanes for them that haven't been there before. That, that's my ultimate goal with Tribera at some point. Right, and it sounds to me like that's artist development. That, that's what I do. I mean, I feel like that's my gift. I feel like two things. I feel like that's the gift that I'm good at because I've done it my whole career, mm-hmm. but I also feel like that's the missing link. That's the missing link from a lot of artists and a lot of these artists that we're speaking about and that we love from being able to go to the next level. You know, Rosati is in a lane, and he loves his music, and he's a creative but I think Rosati also wants to be as big as Rosati can be. That's you know, right. um, sometimes underground gets a, a bad stigma as just being underground. Like, like, like that's not, like that's going to be all to it. Like I'm just going to be a mm-hmm. new show. And I've been in this business for 20 years, mm-hmm. so I know how to translate it, how to monetize it, and what it takes to get yourself to that next level. And I want to be able to show that to the rest of this new generation. So that's the purpose of me even forming Tribera to hopefully have a home and a place for these kind of artists once they get to that level of, of that, to, once they get to that level. Well, I enjoyed thoroughly speaking to both of you. And obviously, you know that we've been covering your music for a while. Uh, I, I don't even know how many times we posted something from Rosati previously <laughs> and obviously stuff that you guys have worked on together yeah. and definitely going to be on top of mm-hmm. the brand new EP, yeah. Bobby Womack Dreams. And I want to wish you guys all the best. And let me tell you something, Extreme. I also want to catch up with you again so we can talk a little bit about some of your other world. You're a music supervisor, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a few different things, man. Done some television stuff. Um, I got a lot of stuff in the works, man. I mean, nice. you, know, um, you know, I got a lot of stuff in the works, man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just really trying to use all that and, uh, and really put a, a whole new platform of things out there. So, yeah, we can definitely catch up awesome. about that, but, man. I really... But, I, but, my, but my passion right now, honestly, is... And I just have to say this because we are doing... But, like, I didn't get a chance to say this earlier, but my passion right now is what I'm doing with Rosati mm-hmm. because it really speaks to my soul of who I am. And and with Bobby Womack Dreams, like, that's it's a special project for me, too, because it's like a pet project because it's the first time I feel like I'm doing a whole body of work that completely represents who I am. You know Indeed. what I'm saying? So... And that's what I want to continue to do. So, so just to say that, man, that this is probably my favorite peak body of work that I've put out so far in my career, but I, I'm not even done yet. You know what I mean? So we can definitely talk mm. about that. No question. That's phenomenal, man. So I want to thank you both and uh, wish you all the best. Man, thank you, bro. We appreciate it.